What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Haley Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. The State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah, the dynamic duo back in your ear hole. It's the SOC MMA edition. An important week in the world of fisticuffs inside them cage. Fight Island rolls on. We got your reaction and pressing forward from UFC 251 this weekend. Three title fights, a lot of storylines. Who's next? All that good stuff. We've also got top-ranked featherweight, well, not top-ranked, top-10 featherweight Dan Ige in the house. He will be headlining Wednesday night's UFC Fight Night card against Calvin Cater, a must-see matchup for future placement in that greater title picture at 145. We're going to preview that card. We're going to look ahead to this weekend's title bout as well in the flyweight division, and there's only one man that I would be willing to, to join in a union of MMA matrimony here. It's the Hall of Famer himself, the man with the master plan, always sweet, never sour, a tower of sculpted abs and ayahuasca power. It is the earthquake survivor, Sugar Rashad Evans, my man. I'm looking at the wall behind your head in the office, memorabilia <laughs> on point. How is it this week in the life of the great one? It is. It is amazing, BC. It's good to be here with you, man. And I'm even happier that my boy survived the scare because it was a scare. Listen, it was a landslide victory. But anytime you step into the octagon with Jorge Masvidal threatening to baptize you, it's always a scare. I'm going to smash your boy. There were no boys smashed at the end of the day in this one. Uh, Rashad, there's no reason not to just get right into it. Uh we broke this down on CBS Sports HQ over the weekend. Hopefully everybody checked it out. But I was very impressed by the evolution of Kamaru Usman in this fight, by the mentality. I want to say it again, Rashad. Nobody wanted this gentleman to win. You, Trevor Whitman, Mrs. Usman, Mr. Usman, the other guys in the jail with Mr. Usman, that's about it, okay? Those are the only people in this world that wanted that guy to win. He didn't took the bait. He stuck to his guns, and he showed enough of an evolution that anyone sitting here complaining needs to check out Jorge Masvidal's words after that fight. He said, look, this guy was smarter and better than I thought he would be in many of these scenarios, and that's why I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. So can we give the guy the respect here? I mean, we have to give the guy the respect. And listen, if we look at the guy he took the title from, Woodley. Woodley was a great champion, but Woodley will never be remembered in the eyes of most of the fans because of the fact that 
you know, he didn't do things like this. He didn't step up to take these short notice fights like a Masvidal fight. He didn't put himself in harm's way. Willie was a great champion, but he didn't do it like this. And the fact that Kamaru Usman is stepping up to take a fight like this and to risk it all against a very guy in Jorge Masvidal, who everybody thought was going to, you know, was going to go on there and baptize him. And here's for the most part. When, when you're in, in a fight situation and, and you're the champion and you, gotta, you got somebody with a lot of hype, you don't know if he can baptize you or not. So you're like, man, I got this guy who people say he can baptize me. I don't know if he can, but I don't know. But And then he still went ahead and did the fight. To me, that shows that he believes in himself in, in another level. And more importantly, he shows that he can adapt to any situation. And that's what it means to be a champion is being able to adapt to any situation and any opponent at any given time. Yeah, I want to give him the respect because uh, I can't say enough of this fact. The first eight takedown attempts, seven were blocked by Masvidal. So, uh, you know, whatever happened in the final three rounds, yeah, it was boring as balls. We'll get to that in a second. But he completely controlled that fight, and the thing happened that needed to happen for Masvidal to have a chance, right, being able to keep his back off the ground, and yet Usman still had the adaptions to his game. I love the calm in the corner with Coach Whitman, which is a trademark of what happens there. But I got to ask you this, Rashad. I loved so much the things that Usman showed, switching stances, doing, doing things different, shoulder strikes with Coach Whitman. Is this a one-off or is this a future relationship between the two? Because I look now at Kamaru's, even though he's in his early 30s, I think his ceiling of growth just got bigger. I think he can eventually become more of that completely well-rounded you know, guy who's competing for top of the pops on the pound-for-pound pound charts. Is he going to stay in Colorado with your boy? I think he's going to stay. I think their chemistry looked amazing. I think their chemistry kind of gave, you know, a little bit of signs that they're going to be working together for a while. And he, and he showed some amazing growth. I mean, you know, nothing against the Henry Hooth and the Stanford uh, uh, training facility, but sometimes you're, you're with a trainer and they only can take you to a certain point. You got to remember that Henry's been with Kamaru ever since he started MMA and, and he's pretty much formed them and he's learned pretty much almost everything he can learn from Henry, not to say that Henry has nothing else to teach him, but at some point there, there's a block and you need to hear it from somebody else. And I think that's the part that Trevor's serving. He's serving that, that, that other voice. You know how your parents tell you to do something a million times, but then the strangers tell you, and you're like, oh yeah. And they're like, wait, your parents say the same thing. Well, that's probably, you know, the same kind of thing that Trevor is doing, you know, being able to uh, engage him in different kind of ways and, and thus is making him expand and grow. But I mean, the hardest part about doing a camp like that is the fact that you're away. And, and, and having a camp that's away is totally different than having a camp that's at home with your comfort zone and, and with the things that you like to do. When you're away, you kind of go in savage mode early because you're realizing from the start out what you're already giving up to be in a situation to train. So already you feel the sacrifice pulling on you every single day that passes. So you walk into the cage at a different kind of ravenous rage just because you know you've been putting yourself there for day in and day out for eight weeks. Yeah, rage in the cage indeed. Uh, Rashad, look, let, let's, let's – I love being completely honest with the listeners here, okay? You're a Kamara Usman guy. So, you know, he just had a big win. I expect you to come out here and say nice things. I watched that fight and ultimately respected more of what Kamaru did do that I was ready to say, look, I said it in print. I said it on the air. This guy demands our respect. But we are just two voices in a larger cacophony of sound 
in the MMA space, Twitter, social media, beyond the fans. And many, many a fan watched that fight, watched the end of that card, and do not have the same nice things to say about Kamaru Usman. So I want to respect them. I don't usually give voice to the, to the, you know, the commenters out there, but I want to respect them and, and bring on the dishonorable Judge Brian C. Campbell here to, uh, to, to take this main event to court, okay? It's time. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. It's no sense. It doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Uh, I'll call my first witness, Sugar Rashad Evans, to the stand here. Rashad, the narrative, not the expert narrative, but the collective narrative after this fight from the public was this fight card sucks. This main event sucked. Kamaru Usman is boring as balls and doesn't go for the finish. Kamaru may be champion, but I'm never paying to see him again. Rashad Evans, if you had to assign a percentage of blame for this main event not being the giant spectacular firework explosion we all thought when Masvidal's name got attached to it, whose fault is it? Well, I mean, you have to point to the guy who got his will taken from him. At the end of the day, Masvidal sold us on the bill of goods that he didn't deliver on. He told us that he was going to baptize somebody. He told us that he had the credentials to do so. And we believed it because we've seen it over time and time again. So he's like, okay, there may be a baptizing that's going to happen. But when it did not happen in any form, shape, or fashion, even when Kamara was hit with flush punches, it kind of left a dissatisfying feeling inside people's stomach and their gut and in their hearts. And listen, BC, I sympathize with them because I felt that for a moment. But then I smiled very big and realized who I was cheering for, BC. And I realized that it didn't matter if he was going to baptize Kamar Usman because guess what? He couldn't baptize Kamar Usman. So to everybody who got upset because Kamar Usman did what he needed to do to win the fight, hey, cheer for somebody else next time. Because wow. that's what happened. <laughs> yes, they deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell. Wow. Rashad bringing the heat and thunder. Um, here's what's interesting, Rashad. I slung a little, not hate, but a little truth toward that same direction after this fight. And people came after me. How could you blame Jorge Masvidal? He saved us. He took this fight on six days notice. Here's what I think needs to be said about that. Shout out to Jorge Masvidal for having the balls to do this. Shout out to his reputation, Rashad, that I would pick him to win even on six days notice because that aura, that magic, that reputation was so large. But correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not throwing shade at Maz. I'm throwing the truth here. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was more interested in not gassing out so that he didn't get stopped late in this fight than trying to win it. After that first round, that first round, Masvidal came out fast. He landed clean shots. I think you can say credit to Usman's chin. It was a little bit of a back and forth. I don't know where two of the three judges got off given that first round to Usman, but that's fine. And from then on, when the danger subsided and the gas tank leveled out, I didn't see the urgency, Rashad. I know afterwards Jorge said two things that were of note. One, give me more time and a full camp and I'll beat him. That remains to be seen. And two, he said, I had to work so hard 
to, to keep up enough energy to be able to go five rounds. But Rashad, you said it. When you're claiming baptism, we're not paying the, the 74.95 or whatever the pay-per-view is to see if he could last the full five. We're paying to see if he can knock Kamaru Usman out. So I'm not here to say on the, on the, on the court of public opinion that Kamaru Usman is fully innocent. I'm just here, here to say that uh, there's a few suspects in this debate, and one of them is Jorge Masvidal. <laughs> Yes, yes. BC, I feel you. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, come on, people. Listen, you, look, at the end of the day, you have to remember this. It, it's Kamaru had everything to lose. He had everything to lose. And, and Masvidal, I mean, he, he was riding this wave of momentum. For goodness sakes, the, the, the guy's on, on the cover of the game. You know what I'm saying? So it, it was all the signs pointing that it was his time. So for Kamaru Usman, all he was like, you know, not today. And whatever he had to do to make it not today, he did it. Because the reality of the situation, Masvidal knew what Kamaru was going to do. He knew what he was going to do. He's been training for it because Kamaru was the champion. So if you can't stop him from doing what he does, then you lost. Period. Yeah, I mean, you got to understand what gets people off. Is that what gets you off? Don't you understand? We get them off. That's exactly what we do. Um, I will say this, though, because when I, Rashad, went on uh, Morning Combat this week with Luke Thomas, and I said, look, and I believe in this, we pick and choose who we get mad at for, quote, unquote, boring fighting styles. Boring is a word that could mean defensive. It could mean strategic. It could mean a couple of things. Uh, we don't roast Habib. Now, granted, Habib's a little bit more apt to go for the finish, but we don't roast him, okay? We never roasted GSP for being boring in playing for the decision. We, uh, we picked and choose when we roasted Floyd Mayweather, but we still paid to see him fight, right? right I think absolutely. it's just like, I think we got to be honest here. Kamaru Usman does not have, he's a great fighter who's getting better, and he's in that conversation for best in the world. But and, and he's moving closer toward that conversation of, you know, eventually having a chance to become the greatest welterweight. But he's not uh, an overnight sensation on a marketing standpoint. We don't, like, outwardly want to pay to see that personality compete. And some people have that and some people don't. You can't fake it, okay? So people have just decided Kamaru's corny, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to blame him if this happens. But I did have people come back at me and say, how dare you? put Kamaru and Habib in the same sentence because Habib comes out there to smash your boy and what I saw was Kamaru stepping on toes and I saw Kamaru in the last three rounds just looking to maintain position and not improve it can you speak to that as a friend but also a professional critic of fighters would you have wanted to see Kamaru show more uh, intention of going for a finish late in that fight rather than look I'm here to not get knocked out. I'm here to win this fight. F you if you don't want if you don't like my style. Well, see, I, so that's that's the thing. I didn't see him as kind of like stalling or leaning on him. I thought what he was doing. I thought he was still melting down a very game game bread because what people don't really see what's happened inside the clinch is that. So the reason why that even happened the way that it did is because of the fact that Masvidal did so good of not being. For, for, uh, of keeping Kamaru from taking him to the ground. So because Kamaru couldn't take him to the ground, he had to go for the next ground position. Now, if 
you can't get a guy to the ground, the next ground position, meaning the fact that I'm going to have the same advantages that I do on the ground, is me putting your back against the cage and me having, and, and me having that position. If I can put your back to the cage, that is as equal as me putting you on the ground because I can take a lot of energy from you because you have to work in order to not get pop shot, in order to not get takedown. So the reason why he was stepping on his foot was because it's annoying and it hurts. And when you come back to the center of the octagon, your foot and your movement doesn't work right. But it also makes it so that you are moving your feet and lifting them out of position, which makes it easier for you to get the takedown. I, I, I do understand the strategy in it, and I understand the fact that it is very painful to watch. But when it comes to effectiveness, it's effective. Randy Couture was able to beat you know, was able to become the heavyweight champion again and beat a very game Tim Sylvia at the time because he employed this very wall and brawl strategy. Uh, and, and there's a couple points here. Kamaru said after the fight, there were times in the stand-up clinch that I let go of the grip and Jorge didn't take, not the bait, Jorge was like sort of content to stand there. So I think those right. were periods when Masvidal's keeping it, reloading his gas tank and he was content to stay in that spot. So again, we can blame Kamaru, but A, we knew who Kamaru was coming in. B, I thought Luke Thomas made a great point this week. He said the UFC pay structure is set up where if you're not an overwhelming draw and Kamaru isn't, there's no incentive for Kamaru to get a finish there. His incentive is to keep that belt because if he doesn't have that belt anymore, he doesn't have that chance to make the upward amount of money. His financial incentives are built into staying champion. So if you know all that coming in, I mean, I, I love praising Masvidal for beating UFC at the negotiation table, but the truth in this matter, Rashad, is Masvidal had a chance to accept this title fight twice, the second time for the same money as the Diaz fight last year, and credit to his principals maybe for not cashing in, or not, I'm sorry, not taking the chance, but he could have took the chance and got a full camp. It was his decision to say no and gamble. Yeah. It came back to him. But again, when you're in that spot where you're going all in, you got to fight all in. And he didn't do that. That's how it happened at the end of the day. Um, you, you know, put the blame around the hole you want. I don't think Usman's trying to be somebody that he, that he isn't saying he is, right? He's trying to be a well-rounded well, I mean, fighter who can beat you. And, and you got to beat that style. I mean, look, it's the same thing in any sport, any combat sport, Rashad. There are boring styles. John Fitch, God damn, he put us to sleep. But at the same time, beat him. Beat that style, and then you don't have to deal with him anymore. Yes. And I hate to say it too, but if you hate Usman, don't buy the damn pay-per-view. It is what it is. Yes, and, and, and that's exactly it. It's like you, you can't like, – like, for instance, if, if Jorge would have went out there and he would have caught him and, 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 and it would have been everything that he said of baptism or whatever the case may be, people would have said this, oh, man, Kamara was stupid. He should have never went out in the center exchange with him. He should have did what he does. That's what they would have said if he would have got caught – get knocked out by doing something that's out of his game plan. His game plan, he, 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 he can stand and strike, and he gave us that. He gave us that in spades when he fought Kobe Covington, and he gave us that even in this fight. It wasn't like Masvidal didn't have a chance at all to throw one single punch. It's just that whatever he did throw, it just was not effective. It just didn't, it just didn't have that pop. It just didn't have that same baptism. <laughs> Sorry. That's it, man. I mean, it, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. um, it comes down to like, would Usman be more beloved if he went for the finish late in that fight? Yes, but at the same time, like, you fight how you fight. He's not right. trying to be somebody he isn't. 
That's who he is. He goes to decisions. Okay, guys, that's who he is. I do. I was impressed with the involvement, and I think he's only going to get better. So uh, he did what he had to do. We move on. Uh, next is Gilbert Burns per Dana White, and that seems to make sense because Burns did everything the UFC wanted him to do this year, which is take tough fights back-to-back in short periods and win spectacularly. Mm -hmm. So it seems to make sense that he would get it next after the COVID test. Because I'm sorry, Leon Edwards can win 80 fights in a row, Rashad, but it's still until he beats a big name, it's hard to plug him in. So I don't think there's debate on who Kamaru should get next. The real debate is, what do you do with Masvidal next? He did say he's now... Uh, sort of drunk on the idea of going after the title. It's not that much about money anymore. It's, it might actually be about, I want to end my career as a champion. So can you think of a better fight than Leon Edwards versus Jorge Masvidal with the backstory of the fight backstage and the fact that you're not putting him in there against another wrestler who could do that again. You're putting him in there against a more well-rounded striker. Who might, we might get fireworks if we go Masvidal Edwards. Yeah, but if you want to look at somebody who can do Kamaru's style really well, then you have to look at Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards, for not being a wrestler, for being somebody who's, who, who's British, he has pretty decent dominant wrestling, and, and, and he has an ability to do kind of what Kamaru did. So the, the question is now do you want to take a chance of ruining the value that you have in Jorge Masvidal by putting him in another fight that could play out the same exact way? I say you don't. I say, you know what, we, we keep this – being math and we keep this guy floating high for the rest of this year because we got games to sell, right? We got a we got a whole new UF game to sell. He's on that the cover. Looked over. He's on the cover of UFC four. Yeah, he's right. A- you can't have a guy suffer the potential of two straight defeats by by being on his back or his back against the wall. I don't know, dude. It's crazy. Do I believe he would have done better with a full camp? Yes, but he's also thirty five. The window's not getting any larger. If you're UFC, are you trying to push him more into Fight a Diaz, fight a Con. I don't know. I don't think he's going to fight a Connor because when the welterweight is not at stake, it takes away a lot of luster and reason for Connor to say yes to that. But uh, for Jorge, how much was his brand uh, diminished by this, by the, the 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 manner of this loss? I think a bit, but I think the fact that it was the way that it was, meaning the fact that people really don't see the artistry and what Kamaru did. I think it's just been stocked up to, oh, man, he just only hugged you for five rounds, you know? So it wasn't like a true beating to people. It was just that, you know, you just got out strategy because of the fact that he had, you know, weeks to train and you didn't have it. That, there's an excuse that can be made for that. So I don't think he's losing too much fair fan. Um, it, it, it's, I think he's, he's gained a bit, but I think um, what's going to be most important for him is what and what what he does and what he says next. You know what I'm saying? It, how he takes this and how he reacts to this is going to mean everything and how the fans receive it. Now, Rashad, it's really hard for us to get pay-per-view numbers in the modern era. A, because UFC officially never releases them. B, because once they move to ESPN+, Plus, which now handles their pay-per-view distribution uh, exclusively, you know, unless ESPN's putting out a press release, you're just not going to find out. But... Boxing writer Mike Coppinger of The Athletic suddenly come out of nowhere with sources. UFC 251 produces 1.3 million pay-per-view buys, which, if can be believed, Rashad, would be the largest since Habib and Connor in 2018 broke the MMA record of what was that? Uh, 2.4, something ridiculously high. 
Um, and just so for reference point, it's believed that Connor Cowboy from earlier this year broke a million but didn't reach this. Uh, do you believe this number, first off? I believe it. I believe it's somewhere close. I believe it's somewhere close to at least over a million pay-per-view buys. I was hearing that it was like old school numbers because, you know, typically speaking, since the new era, you know, you're not getting many buys over 800,000, you know, over 900,000. Those are the really big cards that high. So typically speaking, they're ranging on the average pay-per-view, maybe five, 600, you know what I'm saying? So if they got anywhere between 1.3, that is huge for them. And uh, it, it, it shows that they can bring a guy like Connor out because they can hit the numbers. And that's what they were afraid of, not being able to hit the numbers. But, I mean, if you're doing 1.3 right now with Kamaru Usman, then a fan base been starving for Conor McGregor can definitely hit probably over 2 million. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, It could be his best right, ever. Then it shows you that stars still sell. And, you know, it obviously didn't help. It didn't hurt having a loaded main card. I don't know. I don't know why I'm I, – I, the main reason why I'm questioning that number is uh, why is it coming from a boxing writer? Who's, who's leaking it then? If it's, if it's in-house ESPN right. that, that has this, who's leaking it? And also that, uh, you know, sometimes the C, our metrics at CBS Sports in terms of our page views on our story content and all that, Rashad, does speak to how important a fight is. This fight disappointed big time in that regard. So I did see the crossover interest for Jorge building – uh, I don't know if the page views is in relation to the performance of the fights. Tough to tell. But uh, either way, that's pretty big if that's true. And let's also put one other piece of truth on the forefront here before we move on, Rashad. Lawrence Epstein, the COO of UFC, did an interview late last week with multiple outlets about the business side. Did you hear him say, oh, by the way, confirming our thoughts here, Abu Dhabi paid a handsome site fee for UFC to go there paid everyone's travel, paid accommodations, paid food, and paid COVID testing. So Rashad, Dana then subsequently told Kevin Ioli, I may buy a house in Abu Dhabi because we're going to be here a lot. Let's put all those conversations we had the last two months about live gates, about Connor ain't going to fight anyway, John Jones ain't going to fight anyway. Let's burn them in a, in a trash can because Uncle Dana, the genius, found his sugar daddy once again, and he's located in the UAE. Um, when they're getting stupid site fee money and everything paid for, uh, all of our favorite fighters can come back now. That's a monster move for UFC, Rashad. It, it is a huge move. It is a huge move, and it's a, fine, it's a way for them to, you know, not take on so much debt because at the end of the day, you know, you don't, you don't budget to, to be able to, you know, have a, a situation that they were facing. I mean, just the expensive loan of doing all the multiple tests that they were doing, uh, finding the PPE equipment and all those different things that are just hard to do they needed to be able to have a monster house and somebody in the UAE who can, you know, move things around the way they needed to them and as fast as they needed to them to, to have move. You know, the reason why the UFC has been able to put on the shows that they have been able to with so, so much success, while other sporting events are sputtering and trying to find a hard way to get the chemistry right so they can get some ground to potentially move forward is because the UFC has such a, a great network that they've been leaning on. And this, this just goes to show the network that they've been able to lean on uh, coming through for them in a huge situation. That's going to alleviate a lot of pressure for them. 
Well, not only was UFC back in a big way, the first of four cards over a two-week span on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. The next one is Wednesday. We will preview that shortly. Uh, golf's also back, Rashad Evans. And uh, we have a podcast at CBS Sports called The First Pod. And they're going to be a little bit big, busy this week with the return of Tiger Woods. Hey, Rashad, are you amped and fired up that Tiger Woods is back? I am. I love me some Tiger Woods. Listen, golf wasn't the same when Tiger was not hitting. Now he's he's hitting again. Hey, it's good to see. Uh, We're talking about golf, people. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to see his DMs. Look, hey, Tiger is back, and the Big Cat is making his first PGA Tour start since February at the Memorial Tournament when he takes on this weekend at the historic Muir Muirfield Village, Murfield Village. Well, I ruined that ad read. Uh, but hey, the CBS Sports First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered with two stacked preview shows, round by round recap pods as Tiger searches for career win number 83. You can find the first cut on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy fine audio. Hey, we're going to take a quick pause for the cause on the other side. We got featherweight Dan Ige. We got a couple bit more reactions about where we go from here after 251. Lots of good stuff to come. BC and Rashad coming at you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. It's BC. It's Rashad. It's the SOC. Uh, Rashad, a couple quick points here from the 251 card. Let's go rapid rapid style here. We both agreed that Max Holloway did not get the benefit of the doubt. We had him winning three rounds to two in his title loss to Alexander Volkanovsky. I don't want to relitigate uh, what the judges got wrong, what they missed, but I do want to get back into the scoring discussion here. Because we're still doing 10-9 boxing scoring must system in a different sport that's not boxing with five-minute rounds and not three-minute rounds. So you're going to have a lot of issues like this. The fact that, that Max Holloway scored knockdowns in, in rounds one and two but didn't dominate from a damage perspective to earn 10-8 rounds, right? He earned 10-9 rounds, but let's be honest. He controlled distance in those first two. He was the effective aggressor, and he scored two clean knockdowns. Should we be maybe going deeper into the boxing scoring style and and awarding an extra point for knockdowns like boxing does? Because if you did that in this case, Holloway would be your winner, which is what your eye test told you after watching that fight. Well, you you would definitely think that um, a knockdown – it does give you an extra point. Like it, it's, it's a substantial thing that happened in a round, you know, when you date somebody or anything like that, it, it's always, and I always thought it was an extra point. Um, I, I think, I think what made it not an extra point was just, you know, the, the faculties that Volkanovsky was able to show after he got knocked down. And uh, you know, that can be pushed off in the mind's eye of, of the judge when it comes to tallying up that round, just because, you know, you see the guy get knocked down, but they, you don't remember him, you know, falling all over the mat. You remember, you don't remember him, you know, looking like he took too much damage. So then you don't take that as a 10-8. But I, I, I absolutely think once some guy, somebody 
you know, butt hits the mat off of a punch like that. And when it was clean, like how Max did it twice in a row, you got to make that a 10-8 run. You have to. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the only change I could make because I think Volkanovski, uh, this wasn't a robbery. He won within the grounds of how you score fights. Now, personally, I had it 3-2 to two max. Personally, you had it 3-2 to two max. But two of those three judges had it 3-2 to two Volkanovski. And again, your aim and round-by-round scoring MMA is, is to win more rounds than the other guy and avoid taking on the damage that would give your opponent a 10-8 round. So when that, in the, within that scoring system, there's no robbery here, okay? There's no, uh, these judges suck. I think these judges just preferred Volkanovski in the swing rounds, and it is what it is. But I still think there is a problem in both combat sports on how we can't differentiate between a round in which it's really close and one guy edged it, which that's how Volkanovski won three, four, and five, in most people's eyes, and when somebody wins on a much wider margin without extra, extra damage, I don't, we don't have a fix for that. So, Rashad, the natural yeah. knee-jerk reaction for people is let's go back to pride scoring, which was let's not score the fight until the end. Let's not give rounds that scores after each round. At the end of the fight, we'll score who we thought won. But some people go, hey, that scoring system was set up to favor who was peaking at the mm-hmm. end. We do have to be honest. Yeah. Volkanovski was peaking when that fight ended. He had bloodied Max's nose. So that doesn't fix it either. But would, is that a better fix for you for, for a judge to watch a whole fight and then simply say fighter A won, fighter B won, or it was a draw? Because I think you have to agree that if this fight was a draw and not a close split decision win, we have no issue with it. No, nah, you know, I think that I think you just invite more problems if you do it like that by just having, you know, what the judge is seeing on the totality basis of the whole entire fight, because you can't remember some of the things that happen in the fight. Sometimes, you know, something happens that you just that, that just happened at, towards the end of the fight that, that stands out to you more than uh, at the end of the beginning of the fight. And um, that's not fair if you're the guy on the other side who was doing better in the first. So I think that what needs to be done more than anything is the fact that there needs to be criteria based upon, okay, you know, a, a knockdown is, you know, we look at it like this and, and start judging what we see these things happening out the guy, you know, somebody gets taken down. Okay. Depending how long they stay down, how do we, how do we judge that pressure? You know, if they pop them right back up or if they're doing damage uh, once they're de- taken down, are they more active inside the guard? Is it, you know, all these different things that has to be taken into consideration. And I think there has to be some kind of criteria that, that the refs have to look at, you know, and, and, and kind of go from there and deciding on what point should be based upon a criteria of what is being performed inside the octagon at that time, because it, it, it's so hard to like, like for instance, we're here trying to find a black box and figure out where the judging went wrong. And you did a really good job of just articulating pretty much out, off the, out the gate that it was a simple fact that, you know, he wasn't being ju- the, the knockdowns weren't being judged how they should. Now, off of that criteria, okay, if judges are now aware that they have to judge knockdowns based on a certain criteria, then now we can already see where the problem would be, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe you blow up the 10-point must system and you score it like you almost do in amateur wrestling where certain moves get certain points and right. around whoever has more points. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, mean, I, think, I think that'd be a better, I think that'd be a better, a better thing, you know? Yeah, it, it's tough. Uh, let me ask you quickly, how many more wins at featherweight should he stay there do you think max holloway would need 
to warrant a third fight, if that's even possible to warrant a third fight when you lost twice to the same champion. If there's ever a case for a third fight, there has this is it. But here's the thing about doing a third fight: if you do a third fight, then you got to do a fourth fight. If you do a fourth fight, then you got to do a fifth fight. And then how long, how long could this go on for? Because it, it, these two are so close. So I think at this point, I think you you do have to have Max kind of step away and get him somebody new in there. Get him, get him somebody to kind of uh, to, to to just to fight and and not be in that position and and have somebody else get a chance and, and give Volkanovski the respect for beating a champion twice, you know, because yeah, there, there, he, he did that. If we keep trying to make excuses for Max, even though I thought he won, uh, it's not fair to Volkanovski to keep running this fight back until Max wins. Let me go there. Right. there yeah, we, right. <laughs> uh, but the good news is this division's loaded. If we end up seeing Volkanovski against Zabit, you know, we see Ortega come back. We got Korean Zombie there. You got Yair. You got um, – so many people I want to see Max Holloway against who he hasn't defended his belt against yet that uh, I'm excited about the future. All right, quickly, uh, Peter Jan impressed us both. Peyoter mm. Jan with that knockout of Jose Aldo. Uh, the real question is, in my mind, because Jan showed us everything we needed to see, what do we do with him in terms of the title picture? Because my gut's telling me, Aljo already earned it, bro, okay? I mean, he beat Sanhagen in a fight that you could have put an interim belt on. You didn't. Uh, the end of discussion. But Dana would not commit to Aljo after the fight as getting it next. I thought that meant it could open a door for Henry Cejudo. Others think that means it could open a door for chosen one Cody Garbrandt, your marketable former champion. Other people think, whoa, whoa, whoa. How is no one for remembering that Marlon Moraes just beat Jose Aldo? But Moraes did come out in the last 24 hours and tell uh, uh, ESPN Brazil that he has COVID-19 and that he had been negotiating a, a fight with Cody Garbrandt. So, Rashad, with all of those factors in mind, who's next for Peyo Treyan? I think that uh, I think that Henry Cejudo might be might be chomping at the bit to get back in there, and I think that you know him him stepping out kind of allowed uh, enough uh, to happen where him returning will be a bigger, a bigger story than if he stayed. You know what I'm saying? So Aljo get the law. What else does he have to do, Rashad? Because here's the thing about it. Al- Aljo, Aljo can get the love, and he definitely deserved the love. But Aljo is just like that, 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 that beautiful girl you take, you know, you, you just, you just, you, you just, you, you don't appreciate it because she's there. You know what I'm saying? You just don't appreciate it like you like you would. Happens, okay? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, that's that's exactly what's happening with Aljo. You know, they know he's going to be there. See, the problem is the system is set up, Rashad. That now that we have a young future star champion in Jan, the system is set up for you to feed him. B-sides that are more marketable than him, that are older guys at times, that he can build his name off of. That's why mm-hmm. Jose Aldo got this title fight, by the way. And that's why, if it ends up being Cody Garbrandt, you would understand why. When I think in reality, you want to find out who's the best of the best in your division of the young horses. As a, as a hardcore fan, I have to see Jan versus Aljo. I have to know who's the best right now. But I wouldn't be surprised if either Cejudo or Garbrandt slid in here next. And uh, that sucks. And I think Marais's positive COVID test does delay things. I don't know who Aljo would get next if he didn't get the title. I think it's, it's – it's, it's, Well, 
It, it does suck, but listen, we've been getting a whole new algo just based on the fact that he has been passed over, just based on the fact that he has a chip on the shoulder. So keep on passing my boy algo up because it just makes him that much harder in the gym. And when he's hard in the gym, we get a much improved algo out there. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That is what it is. Uh, Rashad, Rosnama Yunus uh, went through hell in round three to edge Jessica Andrade by split decision in your fight of the night. Fantastic. She slayed all of her demons is my real analysis for Rose there. But as it pertains to the future, did Rose do uh, – was Rose's performance enough to make you like her chances more against Li Zhang or less based on that performance against Andrade? Um, um I, I think it, it's and I, you know it, it, in between safe answer right you know I, I will say more in the fact that the fact that she's she faced her demons you know and just getting over that hump wanting to compete again and being excited to be competing again that's a big thing but more importantly getting bloodied up and surviving that that terror in the third round there's nothing scarier when you're thinking a whole fight like you know what I just don't want anything to happen to me like last fight. And then you're cruising and you're like, oh my gosh, this is better than I thought. And you're feeling great. But in the third round, you, you, you slip when you should have dipped. And next thing you know, you're on shaky ground. That happened to me when I fought Tiago, uh, Tiago Silva. And the whole time I was thinking, oh no, not right now, not right now, not today, not today. And once I got through that, go ahead, VC, go ahead, VC. Flashback. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was having a flashback of the Welcome to the Machita Air all over again. But once I made it past that, and I was like, okay, I, I made it past it. The fight was over, and I survived. I'm like, I can do this again. I, I can do this. I can take a big punch. And that's what Rose felt. She just felt the relief, and she, she's back. Rose is back. Oh, God. Rose versus Whaley is such a great fight. I think you're going to see Whaley favored. She's the defending champion. I think some people are going to look at Rose getting beat up in that third round by Andrade as a negative, even though I agree with you that I would rather see her go through something like this than not know, right? If she had come in and just blew away Andrade, we wouldn't really know everything. Um, styles make fights, and I think if anybody could make Whaley have to fight technical, it would be, it would be Rose with her length, with her striking, with her head movement and all that. Uh, shout out to Andrade. She showed us, you know, the bulldog mentality she had, had movement, all that. But uh, 115 is where I want to be, okay? All these women, they're just, um, they're amazing, okay? They're great. Straw weight, I mean, <laughs> that too. But straw weight, thank you very much. Uh, quickly, Amanda Hebas sent Paige Van Zandt to hell in like two minutes. Rashad, she wants to go back down to 115. And she won us all over, by the way. Not just her performance in the submission, but her uh, her fun, hum, you know, her, her, her humility afterwards, the, the, the jovial, jovialness of her post-fight interview. She wants Marina Rodriguez in a top 10 fight at 115. But if you're advising her, shouldn't you tell her to go the 125 route? There ain't no one there. I mean, the 125 route is the, the, the road less traveled right now. And especially, you know, being in the position that she's in right now, coming in there and having a, a great, uh, great and impressive fight and showing that she can do something at the 125 weight class. But here's the thing about it, BC. And, and here's the elephant in the room. Yes, it's easier to get to the top, but it might be too easy because who's at the top? At the top, you don't want that smoke, right? It's like, yeah, I got a short line, but it's a short line to hell. Do I want that? (laughs) 
tickets to hell, half price. Yes, come on. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's a good take. I like that a lot. Uh, too bad for PVZ, Rashad. Uh, if you had to guess, where is Paige Van Zandt in six months? I say that she gets signed to a promotion like Bellator. I think that she can do something at Bellator. And I think here, here's for the most part, you know, I kind of gave it to her a little hard and, and I shouldn't have because she, she is, she's a competitor. You can't, you, you don't watch Paige and be like, okay, she's just out there trying to be a pretty girl. No, Paige can fight and Paige can knock your ass out if you're not, if, if you're not careful, she can catch you. But she just never transitioned into being a contender. She never was a contender and we never seen the fact that she had an ability to be a contender in another organization like Bellator, they can build her up. They can build her up the way that she can with the competition that can build her to be a contender or be a champion. Yeah. Yeah. She can add a lot of value to Bellator, especially, I mean, here's, here's the honest take. I love me some Bellator. I love me Scott Coker, Bellator, part of the Viacom CBS family, full disclosure, but Rashad, they allow you the chance to beat up on some bombs. I'm sorry, all right? Bobby Lashley been fighting fat white guys for many a year in Bellator, okay? If you want to get dusted off and look good for a while, they'll find you some weekend warriors to clean up on. That's what Paige needs now. She needs some headlining roles on some Bellator cards where she can go in there and do a jumping switch kick, rebuild her confidence, uh, you know, F around and try pro wrestling, whatever you want to do, Paige. But it's not at the elite level in UFC. It is what it is, okay? And tell your husband that's a really bad uh, throat tattoo with the eyeball. I'm sorry. I, I see it, I get nervous. It just, it just creeps me out, all right? All right, thank you very much. Okay, yeah. If he was a girl, you would say he has a badonka doll. That makes no sense. All right, hey, let's bring Dan Ige. Let's bring in this featherweight contender. He will be facing off this Wednesday night, folks. UFC fight night from Abu Dhabi on ESPN against Calvin Cater, two featherweights that are red hot and looking to make a statement. It is Dynamite Dan Ige coming at you. Enjoy. Dan Ige, the man with the featherweight plan. How is everything? What's up, man? I'm good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing great, sir. Uh, Fight Island, main event. This is a big damn deal. How, uh, give me, give me the story here on, uh, on all the craziness that surrounds this and, and where you're at right now as you prepare for this fight. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. And just how fast things have been moving, especially in the last six months, you know, coming off a win over Mursad Beckley back in February. And then with the whole pandemic getting locked down and quarantined and getting a short notice fight against Edson Barboza. It was like a two-week, you know, got, got the call on two-week notice and then took that fight, got the win there, and then here we are again now, main event, you know, opportunity after opportunity, you know, things have just been rolling my way, and it, it's pretty cool, you know, everything's finally, you know, really starting to pay off, all the hard work and sacrifices and dedication, and, you know, here we are now, you know, a few days away from them from the main event spot, so I'm pretty uh, excited about it. And it's a big opportunity. You know, got a lot on the line here, so. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you mentioned that Barbosa fight, which was going to be, you know, a litmus test in some way in terms of you jumping into the deep end, all the circumstances you mentioned. And then in the fight, you know, you felt the power of one of UFC's most uh, dangerous strikers, you know, historically. 
But the fact that you were able to get right back up and, and, and come right at him, flying knee, all that stuff, I feel like you showed a, a lot about what you're made of in that fight. What was that you know, journey within that fight like when, when you knew you were going to be challenged at a high level? Oh, for sure. You know, like, you know, especially getting the notice because the two notice going into that fight, it's like, I mean, I didn't have a lot of time to think. It was just time to, you know, I knew I just had to go. And, um, you know, I was working out in the quarantine and everything, but, you know, I, I knew I just had to go out there and gas for that guy because Edson is one of the, you know, top guys. He's been one of the top guys in the world for the past 10 years. And, He's so dangerous, and I knew I couldn't give him his timing or his face. And you know, he caught me with some nice punches, but I, 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 uh, you know, I, I think I showed a lot of perseverance. I showed a lot of heart, and I, you know, I just kept coming forward, and that's what I do. And I, I think I think I've shown that in my career, and I'm just getting better every day, I'm getting stronger, and um, I really can't wait to showcase my skills this fight. I've had a you know, I didn't I, I didn't take a break after the Edson fight. You know, I felt like I had a lot to work on, especially after that. And I just, you know, took the time to keep getting better. And here we are now. So, you know, I really can't wait to show the world, you know, what I, what I have to offer. Yeah, the quarantine's weird in that it can be a negative experience if you're not getting the right training camp and all that stuff and just the stress of life. But if you're an opportunist, as we're seeing a lot of fighters do, you can get big opportunity one after another. Do you prefer it this way where you're not taking a lot of time off between fights and it's, you know, one fight after the other more difficult than the other? Does this keep you fresher in some ways? You know, I like to forget, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in just being an active fighter. I, uh, it's something I've written down. It's one of my goals was to be an active fighter and just, to fight consistent, it's nice. Like, let's say if we if we actually went back in January and we knew we're like, hey, you're gonna fight in March, uh, June, September, December. Like, if we had like a set schedule like that, I think it'd be cool. But you know, that's it. Really comes down to just staying ready at all times and always being in the gym. So when opportunities do come along the road, you know, we're ready to take them because you know it sucks when an opportunity comes and. You know, you're not prepared. Um, you're not training because, you know, that's when doubt starts creeping in and, you know, you, you don't have the same confidence. And if you don't have confidence going into a fight, you know, you're definitely not in the right place and shouldn't be fighting. But, um, yeah, uh, for me, like, you know, like you said, I'm a man of opportunity. You know, I try to find the good and the bad. And um, so I, I've just been making the best of this whole situation you know we're in and you know i'm looking to keep it going and stay active and you know work my way towards the title uh yeah absolutely when we people when people see your name and and calvin cater on paper uh we we're gonna we think fireworks automatically and i'm sure uh both of you are prepared to deliver that what do you think is tangibly at stake for both of you in this fight um this you know this fight is going to tell a lot especially for the featherweight division um you know calvin he's uh he's been on a tear lately you know just came off a big win over jeremy stevens um he's ko so you know i just can't i'm on a six fight winning streak right now you know for me to get a win over calvin cater not only puts me you know close to the top of the division but you know puts me at the to get seven wins in a row puts me at 
as far as activity and one streaks, it'll put me at the top of the division. So there's a lot on the line for me. Uh, and for him, you know, for me, it's a win-win. I, I have nothing to lose. You know, I have everything to gain. I have a lot of momentum going into this. Um, I, I'm not sure where his mind's at, but I'm not too focused on that. But I'm sure, you know, for him, like, he has a lot to lose here because, you know, he is taking a taking a risk here, facing a – he didn't have to fight me. Um, you know, he could have waited it out and fought someone higher than him. But right now, the division's kind of tied up. You got Max and uh, – Volkanovski fighting this Saturday, which will be a that'll be a banger, you know. And then um, you got the other guys kind of tied up right now, Zabit and Yair, and who knows if Ortega and Zombie are going to fight. But it, 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 it's just kind of you know we're, we're kind of right there in the middle, and you know so who knows what's going to happen after this fight? You know, any of us could be one or two fights away from this out of shot easily. So um, there's a lot on the line here, and I think this fight will tell a lot definitely for the federal occasion. Uh, you mentioned the, the Max Holloway fight, uh, trying to regain his championship against uh, Volkanovski. We're looking forward to that. How do you see that fight playing out? Um, I, I'm rooting for the line. I always, um, you know, got to root for my guys. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's a tough fight, though. You know, Volkanovski's no joke. Um, I feel like he doesn't have his respect yet as a champion. And um, he kind of has a chip on his shoulder in that sense. But Max is super intelligent and really skilled. Um, so I, I, I think Max can make the adjustments and pull it off. But Volkanovski is a tough guy to deal with. He brings it. You know, his pressure game is amazing. And um, I guess we'll have to wait and see and find out. You know, you never know what happens in a fight. But I'm really looking forward to watching that one. And, uh yeah, definitely. I could definitely see myself fighting one of those guys soon. For sure. Uh, you're a Hawaiian native, and uh, every Hawaiian fighter I've ever talked to is like, man, we need a big fight on our island. And I talked to Max this week, and he said, you know, hey, it's cool. I'm going to be going to Fight Island. Shout out to Abu Dhabi. But Fight Island should be Hawaii. You know, pick an island. Uh, what will it take? Will it take you and Max for the belt one day to get a big one there in Hawaii? Uh, you never know, but yeah, that, he's definitely right there. Hawaii is the, that's the real fight island, you know. Everyone in Hawaii, it's just we, we were born and raised fighting there. It's just part of our culture, and you know that's that would be the best place to, you know, call it fight island. But um, yeah, you, you never know uh, what happens down the down the road. If I keep winning, you know, and Max wins the title back, you know, you may end up seeing a fight. And but if we do fight, it's one hundred percent going to be on the island in Hawaii. It's got to be a huge fight, you know. I know Max has been calling for UFC a lot forever. You know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate. All the Hawaiians are big advocates for UFC Hawaii. You know, other promotions have done it, and I've you know, there's no reason why the UFC can't do it. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens, but, you know, that would be a huge fight for sure one day down the road. Uh, you're 28 years old. You're right on the verge of, you know, like we mentioned, possibly breaking out. You're in the top 10. You're about to to really make moves with your career. But what's cool is the whole side storyline that, that you're into MMA management, that you're working with Ali at Dominance, and you're really, uh, uh, you know, kind of carving out maybe a future second career for you. Uh, what? Have, how does that help your fight game? You know, like what have you taken from this whole experience that that you're able to sort of help your, yourself in the process? 
Yeah, you know, I started working with Ali, you know, I was two and one as a professional when I first moved to Vegas. And, um, you know, I've been with him for, what is that, 14 professional fights. Um, just on the road, you know, being around high-level guys, being being behind the scenes, seeing champions, how, how they prepare, how they, how they, um, how their mindsets are going into fights. And, um, you know, it helps me a lot because I'm just, I'm constantly around the game. So I'm constantly evolving. You know, I, I, I understand the business side of things. I understand, you know, taking the right fights. Although, you know, I'm still a fighter myself. I, <laughs> I've never said no to a fight, but sometimes I don't take my own advice. But I, 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 I understand, you know, the business side of things, but definitely as far as the mental aspect and approaching fights and just being able to surround myself with champions, you know, guys like Khabib, Kamaru Usman, Henry Cejudo, uh, Marlon Moraes, Cody Garber, Frankie Edgar, you know, Kevin Jackson, the list goes on and on and on, Justin Gagey, and um, just being able to train with these guys, help them out, um, and see how their minds are going into tight weeks. And I, I've taken a little bit and pieces from everyone. I kind of formed my own craft and it's definitely really, really helped my game. You know, it's not something I don't have to do. Like I don't have to, I don't, I don't need the money because I, I make good money fighting, but it's like the value outside of money from experience, mindsets, knowledge is just so much more than, than the money. And definitely, you know, it is something I can do after after fighting. I do have a career lined up if if I need if need be. Um, who knows if I will? But you know, I I, I definitely could easily have a career in, in managing fighters, and I think I'm a I'm a I'm a great manager. I, I definitely pay attention, you know, to all the fighters' needs. I know how to handle fighters because I am a fighter. I know I know what a fighter needs going into a fight week, or not even a fight week, just in the daily lives managing stress so I've um I've learned a lot along the road and I'm still learning to this day and you know who, who knows what the future has in store but you know I'm, I'm I'm definitely I'll definitely be set up yeah that's real that's a really cool opportunity and and I uh I think it's great that you're you're using that as an advantage and obviously also helping fighters along the way. Uh, how does it work out if there's ever or a potential conflict of interest? I mean, we already see where, you know, gym teammates don't necessarily love fighting each other. Guys represented by the same management may not love fighting each other. But you may have a t- situation where, you know, you played a part in helping a certain fighter that you may end up having to fight one day. Do you try to uh, avoid that or is that just part of the game? No, you know, it, it, it's part of the game. It's not like, it, it, and it really comes down to number one contender fights, title shots. You know, there's so many guys in the division I can fight, and but when you start getting to to the top of the to the top of the hill, you know, only there can only be one champion, and that is my goal. That's my overall goal. I don't care who's in front of me. Like, I'm gonna fight a family member. I'm gonna fight somebody. Like, it. At the end of the day, I'm going to fight anybody and whoever, anyone, anywhere to accomplish my goal and get what I want. And um, But I'm not going to go out of my way and call be disrespectful and call out a client or call out a friend. Um, but <laughs> if it's for number one, you know, number one contender or for a title shot, you know, like, for example, Zabit. I, I love Zabit. We, uh, you know, 
I've trained with him. You know, I, I've helped him out five weeks, but, you know, that guy could be a champion. I could be a champion. We could end up fighting one day, but that's, it's no, you know, it's not, I mean, I'm done. I'm not, you know, we're still friends. We can't, we'll still work with him, but, you know, like you, like I said, there can only be one champion. And, you know, that's everyone's goal in this sport. And if you're not in this to be a champion, you're not in the right sport. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to close here, uh, this fight's so great because, uh, like you mentioned, the winner is going to be catapulted to to the front end of those rankings. And who knows, given the quarantine, you could just get the phone call at the right time to get a big opportunity. So what separates you from the from the rest of these guys? And this is a loaded division from from uh, Volkanovski and Max through Zabit, Ortega, uh, Korean Zombie, Yair, on and on. What makes you either different from those guys or, or, or you know, the same to be able to compete, to know that you have the confidence right now should you get that call that you can that you can win a championship in this division? I definitely think it's my mindset, you know, my mental endurance, the things I'm willing to go through to get what I want. And um, I, I really think, you know, and it's kind of sounds cliche, but I really think that's what separates me from the rest because, you know, I might not be the – the prettiest, talented guy, you know, but I, I am the grittiest. I am the, I'm willing to dig deeper than anyone, um, especially right now, you know, in this quarantine. No, there's no, there's no crowd out there. There's no one, there's, we don't get the hype behind it, but I, I'm willing to dig deep in a dark room and go to a dark place and I'm willing to drown. Um, in order to drown your opponent, you have to be willing to drown yourself. And, you know, that's something I'm willing to do. And uh, I put everything on the line when I fight. I take big risks. And, um, you know, I, I, there's there's a short window of time in this game, and, you know, especially when opportunities like this come along, and you're either all the way in or all the way out. You know, I'm all in, and I, I think that defines my fighting style. And, I, you know, that's something different that I think I bring to the table. You know, a lot of these guys are just kind of sitting pretty and they, but that, if you look at the top of the division right now, these guys are inactive. Korean Zombie, when's left? He hasn't fought in a year and a half. He fought his last fight was June 2019. That's like you know I fought four or five times since then. And then you got Ortega, who's been out for two years. You got yeah years. I don't know when the last time he fought the beat. Fought you know almost he's almost been out for a year. So you know I think the activity and just the risks that I take and the willingness that I have um, every time I step in the cage is what, separate, what, is what separates me from the rest of the guys. So, um, But everyone's tough. You know, everyone's definitely – anyone in the top 15 is worthy and can be a champion. And um, so that definitely motivates me and, you know, keeps me hungry and keeps me grinding and working hard and getting better every single day. You know, I have the champion mindset, and I know I will be a champion one day. Fantastic stuff. Dan, best of luck to you, man. Can't wait to see you put it all together in that cage next week. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, you're the man. Talk soon. Wow, Rashad, what a nice guy. What a, what a hungry guy. And a guy represented by your manager, right? Representative of the stars, the great Ali Abdelaziz of Dominance, only... Dan Ige's trying to do both. He's building that second career as an agent, manager, assistant, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but he's also doing pretty damn good in the cage. He's a legitimate featherweight threat right now. 
I feel like he kind of did this out of nowhere. You know, it, it was out of nowhere, but at the same time, I've been watching him slowly build. You know, he's been able to just train along some of the best fighters in the world, train along the Habib, train along the Justin Gaethje's, because every single time they go on these trips where he's managing these guys, he brings his equipment along too. And guess what? He's alongside those guys and just sitting there taking notes and just, just picking up whatever crumb of knowledge they drop on the floor, and he's making gold out of it. He's figuring out what works for him. I think the biggest changing point for him was when he went and he had his training camp with Habib. That training camp, he learned who he was as a fighter. And that's all it takes, BC, is learning who you are as a fighter. I can learn all these different techniques from all these different coaches, from all these different schools, but until I learn to make it my style, it means absolutely nothing to me. They're just ideas that I have. And now he's found his, he's found his, he's found his rhythm. Yeah, I mean, I asked him, you know, what separates him from the very best in this division where he could have the confidence to say, I am a threat to the title, you know, and he, and he mentioned his, his aggressiveness, but really he thinks it comes down to mindset. And I think when you are in that, in that, uh, that sweet spot where you believe in yourself so much, your body's in its prime, you figure out who you are as a fighter, you know what you do right well and what you don't do well, and you get in that groove, you're, you're hard to beat. He's won six in a row. You know, he's only suffered that first loss in his UFC debut and he's on a run right now uh he's an interesting out because I thought that Barboza certainly had the potential to give him some problems and I like that he got hurt early against Edson yet came right back and had that eye of the tiger and got a really big win whether you thought he edged him out or not uh this gonna be a great fight against Calvin Cater when you get two hungry guys in a loaded division that are like trying to get the spotlight on them Cater just knocked out Jeremy Stevens in a, in a thriller. Uh, there's going to be some fireworks on Wednesday night, Rashad. A- absolutely. And, you know, you have uh, Dan Ige, who is um, who's sneaky good. Like, and, and I say that with all due respect. You know, I'm not saying he's trash, but he's one of those guys that you watch on film and you really don't get a true appreciation for what he can do inside the octagon until he's doing it on you. And you're just like, wow. I totally underestimated that. And I give a good case in point. Michael Bisping was that guy for me. I seen he was pretty tough. I seen he was beating people, but I just didn't think that overall this technique screamed that it was anything for me to worry about. It felt different when I was in the octagon with him. And it might feel different for Calvin Cater, who typically speaking takes a while to, to kind of get warmed up to his opponent. You know, we've seen it with the Jeremy Stevens fight. Jeremy Stevens was starting to, you know, getting his thing off, but then you see Calvin figure things out and just kind of, you know, put him away. But against a guy against Dan Ige who thrives on momentum, that could be a huge mistake if he gets a lead on you. I did bring it up to Ige, the, this whole manager thing, where he's helping Ali out. He's learning a lot. He's helping out the different fighters in that loaded, dominant stable but Rashad, what happens if uh, good old Eeks keeps climbing the ladder and then there's a Zabit waiting for him? And uh, we're not only, you know, brothers in, in the same extended Ali family, but he may know some things about Zabit as working as a man. I mean, it could get messy there. It could get a little bit. You, you know what? It could. It really could. But I think that Ali um, does a really good job of compartmentalizing who he's, ha- he's having uh, Ige work with just because of the simple fact that he is, you know, in, in the same uh, weight class. We're on the same weight class as younger guys. He has a couple of different guys. I don't know if you know um, this guy named Puna. He fought in the UFC too, yeah. made his debut. So he he yeah. works. So what happens is Dean Ige works with the heavier guys and Puna works with the lighter guys. So then that way you don't have that kind of cross-contamination, you know? 
Hawaii in the house there, Rashad. Two two Hawaiian fighters there. Uh, Rashad, let's, I know. let's get into prediction time for this uh, fight night card on Wednesday. Ige Cater, uh, plenty at stake when you consider this. It is quarantine season. Uh, dudes are dropping left. Uh, dropping is a bad word. Dudes are catching the COVID left and right. You know, yeah. whether it's a false test or not, people are pulling out of fights. You stay hot. You stay active. You stay close to the phone. You could find your ass in a title battle. So there's a lot at stake here. Two aggressive guys. Who wins? Who's got the edge? Um, I I think that you know Dan Ige is surgeon, but I got to go with Cater in this one. You know, I kind of uh, seen him starting to come on in the, the beat fight. Towards the end of the fight, he started to figure things out. And afterwards, I talked to him. He was kicking himself in the butt because he's like, man, I, I can do this. I can be this guy. I just didn't – I got started too late. And it seemed as if, like, with the German Stevens fight, he made those wrongs right. And I think now he's starting to believe that he belongs to have a main event because now what is this, his third main event? And now he's he, he knows this is where he belongs. So I, I, I think uh, Cater in this one, I think that – Ige, this is going to be a good learning lesson for him. And I hate to pick against my man, but I got to cater. Got to be real. You got to be honest, okay? That's that's what we love about you. I love you. See you soon, boy. Uh, if you're wondering uh, a lot about Cater's last couple of years and where he figured out he is among the elites, Rashad, I forgot. He knocked Shane Burgos out to open 2018, lost the decision to Moicano, then comes back with two straight knockouts, including one against Ricardo Lamas, pushes the beat to the limit in a fun fight, and then knocks out Jeremy Stevens. So Calvin Cater, at age 32, is figuring out who he is just the same. Uh, the one thing about Ige, though, pressure, 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 has won some close split decisions. Does he have the finishing ability to beat the Super Elites? I don't know. I don't know, Rashad. I know. That, that, that's, that's the big thing. It's the fact that I know he can be in there, he can scrap with anybody, and he can – I'll scrap a lot of guys, but with, with uh, Cater, you're going to need some power because he's got a lot of power in that hand. And it's not even – it's not it's accidental power, meaning the fact that he's just letting it out there, going fast and quick, and it's putting people to sleep. When your power is effortless like that, it's hard to think that you're not – you know what I'm saying? That Ige is not going to get caught at least with one of those shots. Yeah, the odds makers are at William Hill are telling us Calvin Cater minus 310, Dan Ige plus 250. So that's a little wider than I expected, but it does make a lot of sense. Uh, the co-main event should be a tight one here, Rashad. I don't know if it moves me much, but I do love Tim Elliott's uh, mullet, and I love his fighting style at flyweight against Ryan uh, Benoit. Benoit? Benoit? Chris Benoit? Well, we're not allowed to say that name anymore. Uh, Rashad, this this uh, this should be a... a, a, a you know, fast and furious one, live your life uh, 15 miles, at what, quarter mile at a time. Dom Toretto yeah. all over the place here. Uh, you like Tim Elliott in this one or what? I like Elliott in this one, man. I'm, I'm starting to become a big fan of this boy, man. I, I love I love his style. And uh, I think this this matchup is, is a serve up for him to kind of to look good. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing about it. During these quarantine times and, and with the fact that everybody is fighting above and beyond their their elevated their their normal state it can go either way but i like to million 
Tim Elliott is riding a three-fight losing streak, but all three of those fights, he was in it, man, because he, I mean, he brings it. He brings the pain. That brawl with Askar Askarov was the fun one in that. Uh, we got Jimmy Rivera coming back at featherweight here, Rashad, against Cody Stammen. Hey, this, this fight don't suck either. Rivera had that long win streak, then has lost three of his last four, all to the best in the game. Marlon Moraes, Aljamain Sterling, Peyotre Jan, and all by decision with the exception of that Moraes knockout in the first round. Uh, he needs a big win because Jimmy Rivera, we're kind of forgetting about him when we talk about the big name featherweights. What kind of fight can Cody Stammen put up against him? Well, I mean, oh man, um, Stammen is, uh, is, is a tough out for anybody. You know, he, he's one of those guys. He's, um, he, he's going he's gonna, to – you're going to know you've been in a fight for, for three rounds and he can definitely take it. But I, I like I like Rivera to kind of get back into his groove again. You know, when you're when you're in there like how he was with those top top guys, you know, it's hard to 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 really give too much credence to the fact that he's on a losing streak when he's been in there with the top top guy. So I'm liking Rivera to get back on, on onto his pace, man. Yep. Uh, Meatball Molly, the British women's flyweight, will be on this card. She's always fun to watch there against Talia Santos. Uh, not, not, nothing else really moves me on this card, Rashad. Nah. Something, I mean, you're going to tell me I should watch Abdul Razak Al Hassan here against uh, some guy I never heard of, or what? No, I'm, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> thing is, uh, uh, you know, make some dinner plans. Don't rush. Come to the TV a little bit later. We'll check that out there. Uh, look, special thanks to Dan Ige for joining us. Uh, check out Wednesday night's card. We'll be back a second time this week to recap the action and set the stage for Saturday's flyweight championship bout. It's going to be Joseph Benavidez against somebody. I hope it's Deviston Figueredo. I hope he doesn't have to pull out. Isn't there some question right now? Yeah. With what? A test? A know. test. A test. Waiting to get back the results. All right. I mean, you know, you know what Dana said, right? Maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, then the Corona's going to get me. All right? It is what it is. Bring it, Corona. Was it? <laughs> uh, let's never forget, by the way, what Joseph Benavides once told Henry Cejudo. I used to hey, cool. like you in high school. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That was a wild time, right? Uh, for Sugar Rashad Evans, it is your boy BC signing off. Uh, we love you people. We love our listeners. Uh, thank you very much. Rashad, do you have any message out here? You know, keep your head up. Hey, BC, keep your head up. Don't let this COVID situation get you in a depressed mood. Yes. Run, stretch, do some meditation. It's going to get better, people. Stay prayed up. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot. All right, forgive, but don't forget, girl, keep your head up. Okay, <laughs> what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> That's it. When we fight you, we don't just come to beat you, right, Robbie? Because if I hurt him, I wasn't taking his neck. What were you going to take? His soul. God, that's the greatest answer. That's the greatest that's thing. That's so cold. Because it's real. It's real. That ain't, yeah. that, no, that ain't no Rory McDonald. I, will, I come to take your health. No, this is some no. real shit, all right? Yeah, that, yeah that, was, that, was, that was a sound bite for all sound bites. All right, that's it, folks. Two words. We out. We out.